Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I don't know how many of you have been here, but we've been speaking about the parables of Jesus for the last six weeks or so, and the Lord is is speaking to us through his word, amen? And anytime we open up the scripture, anytime we open up the word of God, there's so much truth to be found, amen? And so I just want to pray for tonight's service and just pray that the Lord would speak to us, amen? Lord, we just thank you for your presence, and we just thank you for every, every person in this room, every family represented, those that are watching online as well. God, I just thank you for their lives. And, and Holy Spirit, we just take this time to just pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and right now, we just ask, God, that every heart be open, Lord, every, uh, every ear be open, God, to just receive of your truth tonight. And Lord, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that it would just be planted, rooted, Father God, deep in our hearts, Lord, that every single day, Father God, we would just come, Lord, uh, closer and closer to you, Lord, and, and more and more in your likeness, Father. Holy Spirit, feel free to preach tonight. Holy Spirit, teach us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. If I haven't done so, church, I want you to just wave at your neighbor real quickly. If, if we haven't thanked you for joining us tonight, I don't know if there's any first-time visitors. Is there anybody that's joining us for the first time tonight? I don't want to leave you out. Praise you, Jesus. I think we're all family. Are you here for the first time? Bless God. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. I don't know if we have somebody from our hospitality team, but they'll get you some more information about our church. But welcome, welcome, welcome. So tonight we're going to get into the Word, and if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 13. And we've been in Matthew 13 so far, but we're going to just be covering a few short verses tonight. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 31. And Jesus is speaking, it says, He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. Verse 32 says, though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and they perch in its branches. And so I want us to just notice uh, several things from these verses tonight. Christ here is describing the growth and the greatness of his kingdom. Amen. He's describing the growth and the greatness of his kingdom and, and Christianity. Right. You know, we are Christians. We are believers. We're sons and daughters of God. And, and this is what he's explaining in this parable. He shows how it begins as the smallest of seeds. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed, but like, you know, anybody ever seen like a pulga, you know, a flea? You know, they're really small. And, and, and you know, uh, uh, mustard seed's very similar to that. It's really, really small. It's, you know, not the smallest seed out there, but it's pretty much one of the smallest seeds. And certainly for the people in the times of the days of Christ, they understood how small a mustard seed was. But it begins as the smallest of seeds, but yet it grows into one of the greatest of movements. Now, how many of you know and believe that seeds are meant to be sown and not stored? I'll say that one more time. Seeds are meant to be sown. That is, you plant seeds, right? What good is a seed if you just keep it in the cabinet, at, you know, or in the drawer at your house? 
They're not going to yield any fruit. They're not going to grow. They're not going to mature. They're eventually just going to die because they've been, you know, stuck in a drawer in your, in your pantry. I actually have some seeds in my junk drawer at home. <laughs> so, so I can tell you they're not growing. <laughs> they're doing absolutely nothing. They're still in the little paper packet that they came in. But some of the other seeds that I had, I planted. And those are actually doing something. I have a tomato plant right now that's beginning to grow, and it's in a, a pot about that big, and it's, and it's like this tall. Like, it's actually starting to do something, and it's, it's kind of impressive. I haven't eaten a tomato yet, but it looks like it's trending in the right direction, right? And a seed is useless unless it's sown. It's never going to yield fruit. It's never going to produce anything, amen? And so when stored during times of sowing, future harvest is non-existent. Think about that. If you withhold the seed that God has given you, it guarantees absolutely no growth. Think about that. If you withhold what the Lord has done in your life, and we'll just use like your testimony as a form of seed. If you withhold your testimony from people in this world, it is absolutely useless. It will not bear fruit. It will not go on to tell somebody else about the goodness of God in your life. It will not show others how faithful God has been in your life. It will not show others that there is a God that is real and, and he has saved your life and has pulled you from the pit and he set your feet upon a rock. Unless we share our testimony, unless we sow our testimony into the life of somebody else, it will never bear fruit. If we're like those that were cleansed of leprosy in the Bible, there was, there was I believe, 10 lepers that came to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, you know, because he was able to perform miracles and he was, you know, had all of heaven's power flowing through his life. The Bible says that all of the lepers were cleansed. That means all the spots and the scars and the, and the, and the issues that they had in their flesh, they were completely cleansed. But guess what? Many of them left and said nothing. And they gave no credit to Jesus except for one. There's people that have been touched by the kingdom of God, by Jesus, every single day. But who actually takes what has been done and gives credit and glory to God? How many of us that, you know, God woke you up today, you know, and, and you had to tell somebody about that? You actually had to give God glory because you know what? That today is a gift, amen? It is not automatic that you're going to wake up tomorrow. Amen. And so God's given you mercy for the day. He's given you grace for the day to wake up another day to give him glory. There's a preacher that said this, if you look at the past long enough, you'll become a monument instead of a movement. If you look at the past long enough, you'll become a monument instead of a movement. That is this. Sometimes the church is so focused on maintaining what it's always done. That's religious practice, if I could use it that way. They're so focused on maintaining what's been done that it fails to move in step with the Holy Spirit. The God that you serve is alive. Did you know that, church? The God that we serve is alive and well. He's moving. He's breathing. He's, he's wanting to touch people. He's wanting to see his kingdom released in the earth. And guess what? That only happens when those who are sons and daughters live in obedience to what he's asked of your life. 
that you wake up and say, Lord, today is not my day. Today is not a day that I perform my will, my schedule, my agenda, Lord. It's about serving you, Lord. It's about getting in tune with your Holy Spirit. It's about praying and asking, not, Lord, what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. How many of you woke up with that thought today and said, Lord, this is the day that you've made. How can I serve you, Lord? How can I lay my life down, Lord, for the life of someone else? And so this evening, if you'll allow me, I want to break down these few verses. And I pray that we discover the truths that Christ wants to reveal to us from these passages. And so the message of this parable, the message of the parable, it's a powerful message to individual believers and congregations as well as Christianity as a whole. Again, I say that seed of faith, it begins so small, but yet it grows into one of the greatest of bushes and it nourishes itself day by day. That is, mature believers and congregations alike, they'll provide lodging for people of this turbulent world. And so the parable describes the kingdom of heaven in verse 31. It describes a mustard seed is sown. It describes the mustard seed grows and becomes the greatest of bushes. Now the mustard seed was used in, in the proverbial sayings to describe smallness in the day of Jesus. It was used to describe smallness, something so small or tiny or even thought of as insignificant. So Jesus, when he's bringing this up, he's not talking about his kingdom as something that's already grand and expansive and it's huge. But he's saying it's going to start small. Now, I want to just minister there for a second, because anything that happens in your life, the God that we serve is a God of seed, of time and of harvest. That means that the Lord oftentimes will not give you the fruit that you desire. He'll give you the seed. Do you know that we serve a creative God? Amen. Do you know that the Lord is looking for you to use your creativity? Amen. Do you know that the Lord is looking for you to use the diligence of your hard work to, to a, a eventually gain wealth for your life? Amen. Do you know that the Lord is actually holding us responsible to use our minds and our physical beings to labor for our life? The lazy, the Bible says, they shout. They shouldn't get a seat at the table. They shouldn't even eat. But those who are diligent, they are those that have sown. And guess what? They will reap what they sow. The Lord is looking for people, church, that understand the way that he thinks and the way that he's established things to function. I don't know about you, but, you know, most of you in this room probably didn't you know, it, you know, there's people right now that are in their 50s and 60s. And in their 50s and 60s, they've worked 25, 30 years of their life, and they've got some nice things to, to, to show for their, their life's effort, right? But the guy that's in his teens or 20s, and he's barely starting off in life, guess what? He's not going to have the same thing that the guy in the 50s and 60s does. Why? Because he's got to take the knowledge and the things that God's given him as a 15 or a 20-year-old and begin to apply it. He takes what God has given him as a seed and begins to sow it. He begins to work it in his life so that one day when he's 50 or 60 years old, there's a bush to look at. 
There's some fruit for his labor. There's something that he can glean from for the rest of his life. And so something so tiny, even thought of as insignificant, when that mustard seed would grow, it would grow into something very vast and large. Its characteristics were expansion and prominence. Now, again, I say the mustard seed would have been very common and it would have been very, you know, normal for somebody to use this illustration because it was a plant that was used a lot in their culture. And so any one of the people that Jesus was sharing this parable with, they would have automatically understood what it was that he was saying. They could picture it without reference. And so a mustard seed is classified as an evergreen. That means that it could grow 20 feet wide and even up to 20 feet tall. From a seed the size of that. The kingdom of heaven, church, is advancing. Amen? And the Lord is actually looking for people. He's looking for men and women. He's still calling individuals to be a part of his kingdom's plan in this world. Christ depicts the kingdom of God as starting small, but yet growing to enormous size. In the context of the garden of the plants of that era, era, this was exactly the role that the mustard seed played. It had a tiny beginning with a massive result. And so spiritually, Jesus was teaching this, that the kingdom will not appear in full glory out of nothing. Think about that. That the kingdom of God, that is, that is the glory and the expanse of heaven, it would not appear in its fullness, but it would start very, very small. Do you know that one day Christ will reign for a thousand years upon this planet? Do you know that? That's what the scripture teaches us. That is going to be the fullness of God's glory. That's what it's going to eventually get to. But guess what? It started with one man. It started with just one, and I want to get into the, the, the message tonight, and, and if you're taking notes, all significant movements, all significant, you know, motions, all significant things begin with one. Begins with one. Christianity began because Christ launched the movement all by himself. Think about that. You and I would not know the gospel. We would not know scripture. We wouldn't have a printed Bible in our possession had Jesus not first humbled himself and give his life and say, I will take on the form of man and humanity and I will walk in this earth to die for the sins of this world. We would not know the Lord and we would not even have a Bible in our lap today if it was not for Jesus. Amen. That is the idea and the dream. They were in his heart and in his life. It was the father's plan and he moved out alone in the strength of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 15 says this. But the gift is not like the trespass. I love that. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, that is the sin of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and it brought justification. 
Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. See, the holy seed that was sown into this broken world was all it took to set into motion the divine plan of God in this earth. Amen. It was all set into motion through Jesus. And one seed sown, think about this church. I want us to understand the significance of this. One seed sown can eternally impact the life of the harvested. Think about that. One seed sown. Do you know, church, that when you go and you share your testimony and you minister and you share the gospel and you pray for somebody and you bless somebody and you help somebody and you go out of your way to show the goodness of God towards humans, towards mankind, you have no idea the impact that that's going to make in somebody's life. But guess what? The Lord has commanded us to sow into their lives. I'll never forget, it was actually during, you know, the whole COVID thing, and our church at the time was locked down, and I was preaching to a camera that was, like, right here in front of my face, you know, every Sunday and Wednesday, and pastor was, at the time, hospitalized in Houston. And I remember I was preaching to a camera, and nobody was even in this room, and it was probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. It's hard enough to stand in front of people, but it's even weirder to not stand in front of anybody when you're used to standing in front of people. But I remember I was preaching, and I just, uh, you know, had given an invitation for salvation. I said, I said, Lord, you know, just if anybody's watching this, Lord, and, and I had no idea if there was one or a hundred or a thousand watching. But I said, Lord, if there's anyone that, that needs to rededicate their life or give their life to you, Jesus, then we'll pray for that. And so we prayed, and and I remember I got some emails and I got some text messages and this one particular email was, you know, from a young lady that had used to attend our church and she was at the time living in San Antonio, but she was watching the service that night. And she just sent me like this, you know, massive email and just telling me that and thanking me that, I, that the Holy Spirit used me to preach what I preached in that moment because it was exactly what she needed to hear. And she rededicated her life to Christ that night. And the beautiful thing about that is, is, you know, I thank God that I, I was able to know what the Lord did. But you know what? There's many, many, many more times and instances where we have no idea the impact of the seed when it hits somebody's life. There's people that you pray for on a daily basis. There's people that you go out of your way to show the love of Christ to. There's people that you, you bless and you help and you pray for. Or maybe you post a scripture to your social media. Or maybe you sent somebody a text message thinking of that person. You have no idea, church, the eternal impact of that one seed. And the beautiful thing about this is, you never know that person that you pray for. They might become the next Billy Graham. It's true. You never know that seed that you've sown into the life of somebody. It could be a young person. It could be a child. You never know how they will impact the earth for the kingdom of God. But guess what? One seed can provide for many as does the mustard tree. 
See, the mustard tree provided protection and shelter, food. It provided comfort for the birds. And a life that's received the seed of Jesus, it will continue sowing and sharing the goodness and the good news of Jesus so that the tree of Christ's kingdom continues to expand and enlarge. Are you following me tonight? Amen. But it all started with one. It started with the Son of God. It started with Jesus. Amen. And that movement continues today. And so secondly tonight, the movements reveal transformation. When the Lord is really at work, there's going to be evidence of that work seen. And that's through transformation. You see, if somebody is born of Christ, it will give birth to Christians and Christ-like followers and believers. If you are born again, then you will reproduce that which you you know, the seed that you are carrying. Amen. You cannot reproduce something that you do not have. It has to be in your DNA. When you are born again, now you are a, a son and a daughter of God. You are a child of God. And guess what? You should reproduce that which your father has produced in your life. You, now that you've become a disciple of Jesus, you now begin to disciple others. Amen. You, now that you've heard the saving message and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, now you go sharing the same message. Amen. And this is the way it works. But the truth is, is that some churches don't preach the gospel, so as a result, you'll have many false converts. You'll have many people that think that they're saved or think that they know Jesus, but they're actually false converts. Now, I don't want to stick with that too long, but that's such a thing. That's people that have been led into believe that, you know, if they do certain things, you know, in a religious sense that, you know, that will secure salvation for them. And that's not the gospel. Or people that think that, you know, if they, if they you know, perform certain services or duties in the church, you know, that that's going to save them. But that's not the gospel. And so they will go on and believing a false doctrine and a false doctrine will produce a false convert. It's as simple as that. But Christianity and God's kingdom, they were born in the earth from the soul of a carpenter that came from an obscure village outside of Nazareth in Capernaum and from an obscure and despised nation called Israel. And see, the origin from where Christian movement started is very telling of many of our souls when Jesus found and transformed your life. You see, Jesus came from a place that was insignificant in terms of the global impact that one would think it had. Because back in those days, there were cities like Rome, and there was, there was you know, Greece, and there was other nations that were much larger and much more powerful. But yet the Lord decided that it would be through this city, a Nazareth, that Jesus Christ would come into this world. And it's very, you know, I need us to understand this because here's the deal. Many of you weren't prominent when Jesus found you. Many of you weren't of like, you know, great status. You know, you weren't exactly like, you know, doing well in life when Jesus found you. That meant that your beginning was small. But guess what? The ending is going to be very great. What the Lord desires to do in your life is going to blow your mind. The plan that God has for your life is way further than we could ever imagine or ask or think. And so John chapter 1 and verse 44, it says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and he told them, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. 
and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46 says, Nazareth, can any good thing come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. In John chapter 7, verse 52, it says, They replied, Are you from Galilee too? It says, Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, I want us to just notice something here. You know, uh, has anybody ever heard, you know, that saying, you know, that a person might be the least likely to succeed? You've heard that statement before. Well, I can tell you that that theme is 100% true even in the scripture. The least likely to succeed is actually, you know, present in the Bible because it speaks more of the transformation than it does the territory. If I can remind you just quickly of my testimony and where the Lord has brought me from, my testimony is exactly like a mustard seed. It's very similar in so many ways. The beginning of my life, I can tell you, church, wasn't exactly set up for success. When your pregnant mom is beaten while you are being carried in her womb and your biological father wants nothing to do with your life, that's not exactly the best cards that could be dealt to your life. Five years old, I'd get gravely sick to the point of almost dying month after month after month. And you could ask my mom and she could tell you. My parents could confirm it with the hundreds of thousands of dollars of hospital bills that I racked up because I was in the hospital every month. From 13 years old and on, you know, seeing my parents get divorced and being relocated all the way from Idaho down to South Texas, things weren't exactly going in my favor. The point of almost taking my own life, suicidal thoughts and all these ugly things that the enemy was trying to use to destroy my life. All of these things, you know, you could have said, well, nothing good could have come out of this. Nothing good was going to come out of this because, you know what, it was, it was a mess to begin with and it was bound to fail. But when I tell you that Jesus is the all-transforming, the all, you know, he's the one who was all able to be able to reshape and reform and redirect somebody's life, then you're looking at a picture of that right here in front of you. Because while I had every reason to fail in this life and every reason to not make it and every reason for the enemy to destroy my life, God had another plan. God had another plan and he said, when you, son, receive my son, I'll never forget the day that I received Jesus. I'll never forget that day. It's imprinted in my heart. It's imprinted in my mind. It's imprinted in my memory because guess what? I would have never thought I would have never thought that I would encounter the God of this universe. I would have never thought in a million years, church, that I would have encountered the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of love. And I can be honest with you and confirm what scripture says. He chose me. I didn't choose him. But one beautiful day, I received that gift that he had offered for my life. And that was salvation through believing in his son. And I can tell you from that point on, from what seemed as though a tiny mustard seed, 
you know, almost, you know, doomed to fail, the Lord began to do a work in my life. And the Lord's done so many things that I can say to the honor and to the glory of God that I'm so thankful for. How many of you are thankful for that, to have received the best seed that this world has ever seen in this, in this place? Amen. You're thankful for Jesus because he's done a work in your life. Amen. That is, you could have come from the last or the least or, you know, the lowest in the world's eyes. And you could have followed in the footsteps of those who've never been transformed and those who'd be stuck in their sin forever. But thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank God for the gift of salvation. Because when you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to his life, his transforming power can take the lowly to high places of influence for his glory and for his honor. This is what the work of Christ does in the life of a believer. Christ's seal on every believer is victory over the enemy. Amen? It is the mark of conquering death and sin and sickness and poverty. And it reveals life and freedom and good health and the riches of heaven. Amen? And so we can thank the Lord that we are transformed. Amen? We can thank God that what started so small in our life has had such a great and big and eternal impact. Amen? Are you thankful for that? The third thing that we see is that movements continue with followers. Movements continue with followers. Christianity and the birth of the early church was carried forward by men. Carried forward by men without position and men without prestige. Many of them weren't noble, they weren't famous, you know, they weren't mighty, they didn't have all of these good things to offer, they were common folk. They were just normal people. Some had very ordinary professions, uh, professions such as fishermen, and some came from even despised professions like tax collecting. But they were common people, church, who followed by faith. By this time, the number of men that had begun to believe was around 5,000. About 5,000 people had begun to believe in and Peter and John, there was a scripture that I'll get to in Acts chapter 4. There was about 5,000 who began to believe. And Peter and John, how many of you remember that after they were baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to witness, amen, and they began to preach the gospel into the ends of the earth. And so Peter and John are out preaching the gospel, and they're there, and, and they were preaching that Christ had been resurrected from the dead. And because their preaching, you know, came with the authority of heaven, there was a man that was lame, and that man was healed. Now, how many of you know that, you know, when you preach the gospel, the gospel is accompanied with signs and wonders. Amen. That is, the Lord is able to perform his own word when you believe it in faith. So Peter and John, they were jailed and they were questioned. They're taken to jail because they have, you know, been preaching the gospel and they've been telling others about Jesus. And they're taken to jail and they're questioned by what power or name did you do this? And their answer was very simple. They said, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In Acts chapter 14, we catch up there and it says this. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
You see, there was nothing special about them in themselves. They were ordinary. In fact, they were unschooled. You know, and nowadays we put a lot of emphasis on education. And you know what? I have no problem with that. But the Lord didn't need that as a requisite to use any man. It's the truth. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, to, to, to say like we all should just be uneducated or what have you. But I'm simply stating what the Lord needed. And that was hearts that believed in him. That was hearts that would be obedient. Amen. That was hearts that had given their life in complete surrender. They were unschooled, ordinary men. They weren't like the guy that would have been first to be picked on the team. They weren't the most athletic. How many of you remember when, when Samuel anointed David, you know, he goes, and he goes to the house of Jesse and he looks at all of David's brothers and as he's going through them one by one, Eliab, who's the oldest brother, is like this, you know, strapping guy. Like he's like, you know, fit and he's, he's tall and he's, you know, probably a good looking guy. And, you know, he's probably the best looking of the entire, you know, family of brothers of David's brothers. And, and Samuel automatically looks at him and he thinks that's the guy that needs to be anointed king. And how many of you remember that scripture? The Bible says that the Lord does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. Had nothing to do with how well Eliab looked. In fact, Samuel goes down the line through all of David's brothers and then he ends up getting to the last one and he realizes God has not spoken to him yet. And he asks Jesse, he says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse, the dad, almost forgets that he has another son. And that other son was out in the wilderness taking care of his sheep. Most times, church, when you want to be anything significant in the kingdom of God, you will be forgotten. There's times where you think, you know what, Lord, I want to be this for you, and I want to do this for your life, and I want to do all these things, and guess what? It comes with the price of being forgotten. It comes with the price of being insignificant, because guess what? It's not about your significance. It's not about my significance. What did the Lord say? He said, the last shall be first. And the least shall be the greatest. You see, the Lord is able to use any person, church, any ordinary man, any ordinary woman, as long as they've been with Jesus. Amen. When ordinary men and women follow Jesus, extraordinary signs accompany them. Amen. Followers of Christ have been with Jesus. Then guess what? These signs will follow those that believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse, uh, uh, verse 26 says this. It says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Now, Paul, you know, if, if you're a prideful person, then you might take offense to what Paul just said there. Paul's like, you know what? Let's be honest. You weren't that smart. That's what he's saying. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us 
wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. He says, therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, it's okay to admit that we weren't, you know, much before we came to Christ, amen? But when we received Jesus and when we received Christ by faith and received that seed of salvation, then God has continued to use your life in ways that the world has a hard time understanding. It's interesting when, when, when the, you know, a, a person, an unbeliever meets a Christian, you know, for the first time, especially a Christian that's walking in the power of God. And they may look at their life and they may want to, you know, kind of, you know, sum up their life and say, well, what do you do for a living? Well, you know, what is it that you, you, you do? You know, where'd you go to school? You know, and they want to measure you by some standard in which they can put you in, you know, their, you know, categorize you and, and rank you somehow. But when you tell them that you're a Christian, that you're a child of God, that you are a believer, they have no place for you. They don't know where you fit. But then all of a sudden they see the Lord begin to do great and mighty things in your life. And they see the favor of God upon your life. They see the grace of God upon your life. They see the Lord bless your life. They see God do all these things in your life. And they have to wonder and say, where is it that they're getting this from? How is it that God is doing something, you know, just, you know, blessing and all these things in their life? You see, it all comes through receiving that seed of salvation. It all comes through Humility. We've become people of wisdom, people of influence, and people of kingdom royalty, even though we were foolish, we were weak, and we were lowly. The Lord gives you great influence in this world, church. First Peter 2 in chapter 9, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might declare the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right, he's dead. Sorry. Anyways. That's what's going to happen to somebody's life if they don't receive Jesus. That was a good illustration. Thank you, Lord. I'll move on. The faith in which we practice is the distance in which you follow. I'll say that one more time. The faith in which you practice is the distance in which you follow. I've had conversations with people about convictions and their conviction over different things in life. The conviction over different things that, you know, Scripture tells us clearly that we should avoid and things that the, the Word teaches us. But the truth about conviction is this, is that you will either have conviction because you are born again, you know, through, through the power of Jesus and you have been saved because now the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. Or you'll have none because you're not saved. Or you'll have some because you are saved and you've started to open the word. Or you'll have very little because you never opened the word, but you've confessed Jesus as Lord. Why do I say that? Because there's a lot of people that, you know, think that somehow they're supposed to be all influential and all powerful and carry this authority, but they never open the word of God. 
They think, oh, you know, well, I, I, you know, I carry all this authority and I, I can do all these things that Jesus said that I can do. But listen, the faith in which you practice is the distance in which you will follow God. That is what you are obedient in. And the way that you are obedient in the Lord is the way that the Lord will endow his power upon your life. But a powerless people are often re revealed by a disobedient people. Amen. Many proclaim great faith, but reveal little by the way that they follow the Lord. Mark 16 and verse 17 says this. These signs will accompany. That, is, that word means to follow. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. Amen. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Doesn't say they might get well. Doesn't say, you know, they, we hope they get well. It says that they will get well. Amen. That's what it looks like to carry the kingdom's authority in your life. So signs will follow our faith, and faith signifies our follow. Amen. Let's continue. The movement moves forward with one another, that it moves forward with each other. Christianity and, and, and the beginning of God's kingdom reigning in this earth and the beginning of the establishment of the church, of the body of Christ, it grew from just a few persons who had faith the size of a mustard seed. That was the starting point. It, it's never the mustard seed. It's just the starting point. It's always the mustard seed, which is the beginning. Matthew 6 and 30 says this, If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow... Tomorrow thrown into the fire. He says, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? How much more will God do for you in your life, O you of little faith? If God can do something with nothing, how much if we have just a little bit of faith can God do? Amen. The Lord can do much, much more than we could ever think of. Little seeds create big trees. And so through the one man of Christ, Christ influenced 12 men. Jesus didn't preach, you know, to the entire world with a microphone all at once and say, okay, all of the world in existence is going to be my, my disciple. He didn't do that. He poured his life into 12 men and he gave his life for all of mankind. So it started from Jesus to 12 men. And those 12 men influenced 70. And then the 70 influenced 120. And on the day of Pentecost, more than 3,000 people got saved. Because 3,000 is only the number of men. If you actually added up the women and the children that got saved, it would have been much more like 8,000 people. One man, 12 disciples, 70 believers 120 in the upper room, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. The seed of God's kingdom in which you plant in the life of somebody will influence more than you could ever know or imagine. But guess what? It will produce what it was sown to do. And that is it will bring the love of heaven, the comfort, the authority, and the power that comes with the name of Christ to all who receive it in their hearts. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 says, They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It says, you and your household. I love that verse. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, it says. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in the house. Now, I, I made sure that that second verse was there because here's the thing. is Sometimes we think we can talk to one person and that's it. We did the whole, you know, we did the whole thing, right? We, you know, it's like I, I told one person about Jesus. But here clearly it says they spoke the word of the Lord not only to him but to all others in the house. It's important as believers that you do a thorough job, amen? It's important as, as people that, you know, we don't just, you know, cast a net and just hope that, you know, something gets caught. But that you actually intentionally, one by one, you pray over your family members, you go one by one and you have conversations and you share the good news of Jesus with them. You go one by one and you talk to your family members, you talk to your coworkers, you talk to your neighbors one by one. And watch what the Lord's going to do. Watch how the Lord's going to begin to work in their life. In Acts 2, in verse 38, it says, Peter speaks to them. This is his sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. A seed has impact. And that impact, church, is not momentarily. It's for eternity. Christianity numbered only about 120 people when Christ left the earth. Think about that. There was about 120 people that were Christ followers, people that had seen the life of Jesus, that were impacted by his life, that had seen that he had given his life for their, for their sins. And they knew and they recognized and they acknowledged him as the Messiah, as the King, and as their Lord. And so we see that what was once very small, what once had started with one man, Jesus Christ, has blossomed and it's grown and it's crossed generations and it's crossed into nations and it's crossed and it's spread to the entire world and to the ends of the earth. It's literally changed the face of this planet because liberty and freedom and the laws even of institutions of mercy and justice and honor for the most part have all been influenced by Christ. What Jesus has done has set free the enslaved and raised, you know, enormously the status of women and children. Christianity is the greatest movement individually and personally because this is true because Christ did for an individual just what the mustard tree did for the bird. And that is Christ gives rest to people just as a tree provides rest for a bird. So Christ offers rest for the souls of men those who have been bound in torment, those who have been bound and addicted, those who have, 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 have carried and burdened and shouldered the burden and the weight of their sins for their entire life. Jesus does for us exactly what that tree did for the bird, and that's offer rest. You see, a bird has to have a place to land. A bird has to have a place where they can stop and they don't have to worry about the dangers that could be below them or around them. They need a place where they can find shelter. They need a place where they can find a home. And just as that mustard tree provided a, a nest for a bird, so Christ gives a home 
to those that follow him, to those that will lay their life and place their life in his hands. Christ gives food physically and spiritually to a person just as the tree provides food for the bird. Christ offers nourishment, and the only nourishment that you could find for your souls is in and through Jesus. You see, and it's an encouragement to our hope for eternity. That is this, is that the kingdom will finally come someday and we shall be rewarded for our labor. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of our King, is one day going to be manifest in all of its fullness, in all of its glory. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 23 says, His master replied, This is well done, good and faithful servant. I cannot think of any better words that I would ever long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the few things that I, he said, but I will put you in charge of many. He said, come and share your master's happiness. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 56 says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm and let nothing move you, but always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, like I said, the movement that we're a part of isn't about filling a building. It's about filling hearts with the King and the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And this eternal reward for those who would sow Jesus Christ into this world and into the hearts and into the lives of our communities. Ecclesiastes verse 11, chapter 11 verse 6 says, Sow your seed in the morning, and at the evening let, your hands, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. What's he trying to show us? He's saying, do the work anyways. Do the work anyways. And leave the results up to the Father. Preach the gospel and leave the results up to the Father. Pray for people and leave the results up to the Father. Extend a hand of charity, of love, and leave the results up to the Father. We don't realize, church, how powerful one seed will be. But we know that the one who has given it to us is able to bless it and is able to make it grow and is able to make it yield fruit. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. It says, and you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I want to stop there just for a second. See, we're not rich for ourselves. We're not blessed for ourselves. I thank God that he's put food in my belly, a roof over my head, and he's provided so many things. Are you thankful for what you have tonight? You see, we've got all the reason to be thankful. 
We have so much to be thankful for. But here, the scripture makes it very clear. The riches that the Lord blesses us with, the, the, the power, the wealth, the, the strategy, the creativity, the, you know, all of the things that the Lord blesses you with, wisdom, whatever it is, all of those things that you are made rich in in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I'm living a season in my life where I have young person after young person ask me questions. And it's been like this ongoing thing for, you know, a few years now. And guess what? I welcome it. I don't mind it at all. And I've cried before some of them and I've told them, I said, listen, what took me 10, 15 years to yield, what took me so long to, to understand in the spirit, what took me so long to learn from God, I'll give it to you in a heartbeat. You want to know why? Because at the end of the day, I don't want to hoard any wisdom. I don't want to hoard anything that God has done for my life so that I can have some kind of spiritual authority or spiritual power. I want you to have it. You see, if the lessons that those Israelites took 40 years to learn, if somebody would have pinned them down and said, hey, listen, if you just be obedient to this father, if you would have just been obedient, then you could have skipped a whole lifetime and a whole generation out in the desert. And so the wisdom and the experience and the knowledge and the things that God has blessed me with, guess what? I want to give them away. I want to give them away as quick as I can because guess what? I want to be generous on every occasion. So that through what? Through, it says through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God into the thanksgiving to God. It says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to the Lord. So seeds sown in faith mobilize the faithful to their purpose. Amen? So as I ask you to stand tonight, the life of Christ is like a seed that when planted in the soil and in the hearts of this world, it will continue to transform and make followers that will have an eternal impact. But I ask us this question tonight. Whose eternity is waiting on your faith? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.